Thank you, Aaron. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you take them and turn to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, we are in the midst of a series called Momentum. And we're looking at the early church this morning and uh, kind of what God did in and throughout the early church is unbelievable. That this group of people came together and God did something through Jesus Christ dying and rising again. And today we get to look at uh, kind of this community and this new community and what it stands for. Uh, at our church, we have a mission statement, and I'm going to have it come on the screens, and we're going to read it uh, aloud, all right? Um, last night, Saturday night service, they acted like they were really tired, and it was 95 degrees. You guys, it's like 11 in the morning. You're wide awake. You're hungry, ready for lunch. So say it like you mean it, all right? Ready? Becoming a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. Becoming, that we are in process, I pray, as a church and as a group of people of becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. That this is a community that's growing, not only in numbers, but growing in our faith as we walk together. And that we would be compelled to go and make a difference in this world. And this community came together in the early church, and that's what they were about, making a difference. Uh, I don't know about you, but many of you, you started community when uh, you were a young child. Maybe your community group started really, really quick. And you might not think about it, but you had community wrapped around maybe Little League, Pop Warner, gymnastics, basketball, arts, music, whatever it might have been. You started hanging out with the same group of people for an extended period of time, and that became your community. Parents, you know what I'm talking about when you take your kids to the game and you sit on the bleachers and you hang out. For that season, there was a community that was built. I went to a public school back in the 80s in St. Louis, Missouri, and we had uh, our hallways that were designated by our lockers where we were, but it was designated by the group you hung out with. So your identity wasn't in who you were, it was in what you did. So we had Jock Hall, that's where all you jocks hung out, all right, and they had all their lockers over there. We had what was called Burnout Hall. Uh, we had a huge smoking section, and so right outside the smoking section was called Burnout Hall, and that's what we called them in the day. I don't know why shop and uh, auto mechanics and all that was right there, but it was just burnout hall, and that's what they did, and they hung out and they smoked. That was cool. I was a band geek, so I hung out with all the musicians and drama people, and we were in Thespian Hall, and we were upstairs, and so all the musicians hung out over here. So we were identified by what we did, but not who we were, and we hung out in that community. And it begins to identify you as a follower of Jesus. You begin to hang out in this thing called church and community, and you come together, and you sit with people, and you go to lunch, and you form groups, and you become this community. And as I have watched the TV this last week, I, I was amazed at how common people started to do uncommon things. And I've watched over the last couple of months, and, I, and I've asked myself, why does it take a disaster for us to become uncommon? I mean, think about it. From, from Houston... We watch people come together to Florida, to Puerto Rico, to Las Vegas. And they gathered as communities and groups. And the common <laughs> became uncommon. And as I sat back and watched people do extraordinary things, as you heard about people that ran to the center of what was going on. They didn't run from it, they ran to it. From doctors to nurses to paramedics to law enforcement. They went to rescue. And they became uncommon. And I don't know about you, but I sit back 
And I go, yeah, that right there, that's why I love our country. I sit back and I go, yeah, I, I think there's, there's hope. That somewhere deep inside of us, there is this yearning and this longing to be uncommon. Yet I come back and many times, for most of our world, it takes a disaster before we step up to be that kind of people. And God started this thing called community from the very beginning of time. And, and I think what I saw this week, when I saw the goodness that went forth from mankind, I said, maybe, just maybe, that's what he had in mind. Maybe that's how we were supposed to live all the time. Maybe that was who we were created to be. Maybe in Genesis, when, when God began his creation, looked in Genesis 1, verse 26, he said this, Then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You see that word, our the Father, Son, the Spirit of God before creation were together as one. There was a unity and a community that was happening. And I think what they said was, can heaven come to earth? Can God come to earth in the form of mankind? And can there be something uncommon that takes place? And we all know Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden. And it, it's an uncommon place and it's beautiful and it's full of goodness and greatness. They were naked and unashamed, it said, and that didn't have anything to do with clothes. It had to mean with their vulnerability and everything they knew. This was just normal. There was an uncommon comfortableness and vulnerability that went on, and they were in the beauty of God's creation. And then a tragedy struck, and sin came into the world. And ever since, we've been trying to get that, that pure relationship back to God since the beginning of time. And I think what begins to happen, the writer Luke we come to chapter 4. This is the second time that he tells us about this group of people. Chapters 1 and 2, he begins to explain what takes place. And he talks about that they sold all their possessions and they gave everything they had. And they ate together. They took communion together. Thousands of people came to know Jesus because of who they were and how they identified themselves. And then we come to chapter 4. And it's the second time that Luke says, hey, listen, there's something special going on here. And I think he tells us so early in the text because I think he wants us to know this is really important for you, church. And if you could figure this out, I think you could change the world. And I love in the text, chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32, here's what it says. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but that they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. A dude named Joseph, he was a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. It means son of encouragement. Well, he sold the field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. This was the definition I came up with for a biblical community. And this is what I think it looks like to, to be that in this day. A, a common group of people living in an uncommon way as they selflessly sacrifice for their Savior. A common group of people, which is you and which is me. We're just ordinary. But yet when a group of people like us who have Jesus, for most of us that dwell in our hearts, we come together that we would live in an uncommon way. As we selflessly sacrifice for our Savior. See, th this audience that, that Luke was speaking to, they would understand what it meant to be of one heart and one mind. They knew from the Old Testament teachings that 
that it was said that we were to love our God with all of our heart and our mind and our, our soul. It was, in essence, everything that we were. For the Greek reader, they would interpret this, that there was like one team. Everybody was together. They were going to do whatever they were going to do, but there was no division among them. They were of heart and soul, and they were all bought into this thing called the church. And the common, the common person like you and like me, began to do these uncommon things, and God started to change the world. I, I began to think about that. They came together, and in 32, it says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. I don't know about you, but I have a family of five. I have three kids. We can't even do that in my own family. <laughs> Yesterday, I asked my, my, my daughter, I said, hey, can, can I borrow your car? <laughs> and she said, no, you can't. But what do you need my car for? And then I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, are you serious right now? And then she kept going. I said, no, I need to borrow your car. And she, begrudgingly, and then I just stopped, and I said, hey, time out. Guess what? It's my car. <laughs> so let me rephrase it. I'm borrowing my car. <laughs> Give me the stinking keys. We can't even do it in a family of five. Can you imagine? Let's just say this room out of all of our five services over our couple of campuses. <laughs> what it would be like if all of us came together as one? It's hard, isn't it? You're going to have trouble today. Maybe it's just you and your wife are deciding where you want to go to lunch. Yet there was something so uncommon about these common folk that the world started to change. That they had decided that there was a Savior who selflessly sacrificed. And they said, well, if he did that, then, then that's what I'll do. None of their possessions were their own. Somebody had a need. They'd share it. I, I don't know if you know this, but in this community... We got people like that all over the place. Uh, I spoke at a high school group, and uh, high school groups meet in homes, and they meet by class. So there was like, a, I don't know, 80, 75, 80 juniors uh, that were at a home in Yorba Linda, and I went, and they interviewed me, and I spoke to these juniors, and then I went inside, and, and I looked at the family, and I said, hey, uh, thank you for hosting all these high school students who are destroying your lawn and swimming in your pool and eating all your food and just making a mess. I mean, 80 juniors, come on. I have three teenagers. I know what it's like. And it was the coolest part. They go, hey, this is our 14th year of doing this. You know, one of the coolest things was they helped start Saddleback Church, and, and they lived in Yorba Linda, and they kept traveling to Saddleback, and they were hosting our high school group before they even started coming to our church. And then they said, hey, our, our kids are here in this community. We're going to start going to friends. And they just kept hosting the group. Guess what? They don't have any teenagers in the home anymore. All their kids are gone, college and older. And they're still having high schooler kids in. And I look around, and there was people that I know right now. There's probably 10, 12 homes where junior hires and high schoolers are coming every Wednesday night and just destroying the home. And our families are like, awesome. We're so glad you're here. And I look and I say, you know what, they, they've realized that Scott and Terry did was, it's not my house, it's God's. He, I, I didn't do anything to deserve it, he gave it to me, so we're going to share with this community. And I think that's what Luke was getting at. He was saying there's something that was uncommon, 
And I don't know, when your neighbors would walk out of your house and there's 80 kids running around, they might be a little upset, but I think after a while they might be going, what are you guys doing over there? Oh, this is a Bible study. It's pretty cool. I like that. And I think there was a picture that came from the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, you can turn to Deuteronomy 15. It'll be on the screens in a minute. But there was this moment when uh, the Israelites, if you know the story, they were coming from Egypt and they had been freed and God had given them this promised land. And now he was setting up a new way of living. And he was saying, hey, this new community, you want to live differently than what you saw in Egypt. And and I'm going to give you some guidelines and some way to live differently so that I'm glorified and people see who I am through you. And so in chapter 15 in Deuteronomy, it tells us that uh, there was this segment where God came and he said, here's how you're supposed to handle some money. Uh, You have some debt between you and and, and your fellow people that live with you. Every seven years, we're going to cancel all those debts. So for family members that that live and dwell, you got some debts every seven years, you know it's going to be wiped clean. Your slate is clean. And some of you would go, that would be awesome. I would love if my family would do that. Or school loans or whatever it might be. And then he goes on and he says, hey, foreigners, they don't count in this program. It's only part of the family. Foreigners, you still get your money from them. But if you're part of the family every seven years, you're taken care of. And then God tells them, you do that. And then here's what I want you to know next in verse 4. He says this, however, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and be careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. How cool is that? God says, hey, uh, you follow, follow my way, I'm going to bless you. you. You give when maybe you don't even feel like giving. Maybe you don't have that much to give, but when you give of yourself, I'll take care of you. Listen, new group of people and new community, guess what's happening? Uh, you're going to let people borrow from you, but you're never going to borrow from them. You're going to be generous to others, but you're never going to have any needs because when you follow me and obey all of my commands and my laws, I will do what I say I will do, and I will take care of you. And God says the same thing to us. Do do you want to control your life and and run it, or or are you going to entrust it to me? See, that's what that word surrender means. Many of us have, have, have said yes to Jesus in salvation, but many of us have still not said yes to Jesus in surrender. Because surrender, we've decided that everything is his, and we're to steward whatever he's given us. That's why it says in scripture, everything in the heaven and the earth is yours, O Lord. Not mine. And I love this church and this community because you have some leaders and our elders that that live this out. We sold a a piece of property last year, and we had a piece of property, and and we got a ridiculous amount of money for it, and, and, and God blessed us, and we paid off most of our debt. Uh, So we're almost debt-free as a church. In the next seven years, we'll be completely debt-free. Some of you in the room know we were over 20, 25 million in debt 10 years ago. We're almost debt-free. How cool is that? That's awesome. But that isn't even the best part. The elders decided to come together and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to tithe. We're going to give a tenth off of our sale to other churches within our family of churches. So if you know anything about friends, there's like 45 friends churches across California and Arizona and Nevada. So in our family of churches... 
we're going to do a campaign to help them get out of debt. If they raise a certain amount of money, we will match it. And I had a small church in Northern California send me a card with their new building. And they've been trying to pay it off. And for them, $30,000 was a ton of money. And they said, if we raise $30,000, can, can you give us $30,000 and we'll be completely debt-free? And we said yes. And they sent me a picture and they said, our congregation wants to say thank you. We raised the $30,000 because we knew that we had another $30,000 that would pay off this debt. And now we're debt-free. We don't even know anybody. I know the pastor. No, nobody else. Do you know what that's done for that church? You know how excited they are to be able to say, now we can invest in ministry and we don't have to just pay for this building anymore? And I think that's what Luke was saying back in Acts. He said, hey, listen, they had stuff. They brought it together. They sold it. They took care of people. And Deuteronomy was saying that was the community that God was wanting to build in the promised land. And Luke's saying this is a picture of that community coming to life and bearing fruit. And people's lives are being changed. And so he tells them about what's going on and how they sold their possessions. And then right in the middle, in verse 33, back in Acts 4, he says this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. That there were no needy persons among them. They started to share in an uncommon way. And then they continued to be witnesses. And the power of God fell on them. And people kept coming and people kept coming and people kept coming. Did you know that when we tell you to go out and, hey, share your faith or bring somebody to church. Usually it just doesn't happen outside the context of relationship. It doesn't happen not only outside the context of relationship, but it doesn't usually happen without them seeing something different in your own life. Usually it happens when you like do something that's generous or uncommon, and they then begin to think, what's going on in that person's life that they would do that, or they would give that, or they would, you know, prepare this, and, and then they go, hey, tell me about that. And then there's this open door, and I think right here, sandwiched in between two stories about them giving everything, it comes and it says, look, the focus was sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in context with bringing the good news of Jesus Christ by who we are and what we do. And I'm all for social justice, and it's awesome. Let's go out, and let's make a difference, and we're doing that around the world. But if it is not coupled with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the why behind it, it leaves it sort of empty that we are doing good works. And it's not about our works, but it is about because of what Jesus did and his work on the cross that now is being lived out in us. And we are bringing his justice and his hope and his goodness and his peace. And it says, look... The place was rocking and people were coming to know Jesus because there was an uncommon group of people that stepped out in an uncommon way. And that right there is in essence the church. Any church that looks inward, nothing happens. Because we start worrying about the four and no more. And we start saying, hey, it's about us. And we start getting protective in our small group. I don't know if I want to add anybody else to my little group because, you know, I don't know them. <laughs> They're odd. They're different. They don't know Jesus. All this stuff. And we go, wait a minute. Time out. You're missing it, church. That's not a picture of the church. It's a picture of a club. And we weren't called to be a club. <laughs> and in this section of scripture, it says, the power of God came on them. Well, how did all the needs get taken care of? Verse 34b says this, For from time to time, those who own land or houses, they sold them 
They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, named Barnabas, means son of encouragement. This guy sold a field he owned, he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, you need to understand, they didn't sell the only house they had. They didn't get rid of the roof over their heads and so everybody else would be taken care of. No, this usually meant that there were people that had multiple pieces of land or something extra. And God moved in their heart and their spirit and God touched them and they said, you know what, what am I doing with that land? It's just sitting over there. Why don't I sell it? Because these people have needs and that's just a piece of land sitting, doing nothing. And they sell the land and they give the money in. And the church would grow because there was an outward expression of it. There was encouragement that took place from the son of encouragement to the other believers. There was encouragement that happened because of an act and a sacrifice of one for the many. You know, when I, when I became the lead pastor uh, in 2004 of Friends Church, we were in a bad way. And we needed people to do some uncommon things. And the building we sit at in Yorba Linda was $14 million in debt. And I come in, and it was a mess. And see, what you don't know that I know, that there are people in this room that you sit here today, and I've told you this before because of what they did on that day. When they did uncommon things. And my first job, never being a pastor, was to raise $7 million in 90 days. Yeah, it's a lot of money. There was a group of three dudes that in the first day gave $3 million. First day. You sit here today because they sold property, they gave money in their bank, they brought things together for the kingdom of God to move forward and to get us out of trouble. We stand on the backs and we sit in the seats because people said, hey, I got something. God's moving in me. I'm, I'm going to give it. And I sit back and I go, I want to be a part of a group of people like that. They encourage my soul. And I think back because I have a giant picture on my office wall and I showed a couple people this morning that said what if and the building was half built and there were no seats and there was nothing done and we were going to tear it down seven million dollars to tear it down 14 million dollars to build it well tearing it down wasn't a good idea I don't think so we tried to raise that money and I go into my office and I see it and it says what if all the time and I go now not what if but what's next the Josephs of Fringe Church are all over the place but God's saying, I don't want it just to be a few people. That's the call of all of us. To live in uncommon ways. Where common folks start to take notice. And the world is a little bit different. See, here's what you need to know about church. It's not a building you come to. We've messed it up. and We've said, hey, you going to church today? Going to hang out at church? No, guess what? In this word church, it's going to go on the screens. There are two letters. You are the church. You are the church. The Spirit of God resides in you. We're gathering together as a group of people, as a community, and guess what? We go forth to be the church. You are the church. 
And he says, the momentum was built and lives were changed when we came together as one mind and one heart. And we did something so uncommon that the world took notice and went, wait, I want to be a part of that. And so, as we close, and as I wrap it up, I want to ask you a few questions. And before I do that, I'm going to read you a statement that was written in 137 AD. Caesar was wanting to know who these new Christians were. He was wanting to know how, how all this stuff was happening and what was different, so he sent one of his dudes out to, to figure out and investigate. And so he comes back to Caesar, and this is a little lengthy, but it's awesome, awesome quote, and it says this. It is the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth. For they acknowledge God. They do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not wish to have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them, and in this way they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in the awareness, what a great line, they live in the awareness of their smallness. And every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under the roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother, for they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in the spirit and in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all of his needs. If possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor or comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast for two or three days for him. In this way, they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians. And this is the manner of their life. In essence, a biblical community is just this. It's a common, common group of people living in an uncommon way as they selflessly sacrifice for their Savior. So what does it mean to be a part of this biblical community? Well, I have three questions that I just want to ask you personally. And they're for you and the Spirit of God to speak to you however it is. But these three questions I ask myself as well. So the first one, are you helping us be common or uncommon as a community of authentic Christ followers? Are you helping us be common or uncommon? This week, um, on Friday, my wife who's here, Madi, was, she's a great cook. She cooks really good food, so she was making food for a couple families that uh, we know and in the church, and, and so I came, I came over, and she was making, she got these trays out, and she's putting food in, and, and so she's doing all that, and that's awesome, and so uh, later in the afternoon, you know, it smells really good, and I go, and I come back after I'm doing my sermon, and I lay down on the couch, and I turn on the TV, because I'm going to watch the Boston Celtics, my favorite team, they're playing a preseason game, so I just said, I'm going to relax and hang out, and um, she goes, hey, can you take this food to a family? Uh, that I'm making it for. And uh, Luis, his name, he's got stage four cancer. Uh, and you know what my first response was? I didn't say it, of course, just in my mind. <laughs> you kidding me? 
it's like uh, 5.30 or 5.45 when she wanted me to go. It was Brea, man. A lot of traffic that time. <laughs> I just sat down. I've been studying my sermon. I just, I'm on the couch. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> and in my heart, I'm like, last thing I want to do. Yes, I'll do that. And I got in my car, and I pull up to the house in Brea. Never met Luis, didn't know Luis. He's walking towards me. And then he introduced himself, and I think he, he was like, what are you doing here? He just kind of looked at me like, pastor? <laughs> and I shook his hand, and he I said, hey, I'm Matthew. And he told me his name, and I said, where are you coming from? He said, I've, I've been in chemo all day. He said, I have stage four cancer, and it's all throughout my body. And he goes, but it was a good day. And I said, man, I, I hope you're hungry because my wife's a good cook. He goes, I am. I said, good. He said, will you come in and meet my family? And I go in and meet his family. And his mom and dad are there and his brother's there. And wife's giving their, one of their chil three children a bath. And, and I stand in their kitchen. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm kind of overwhelmed in those moments. And he introduced me to his dad. And he said, said, what's your name? He said, it's Jeremiah. I was like, oh, man, that is a good name. I wasn't expecting the Hispanic man to be named Jeremiah, and I was like, that is just awesome. Shook his hand, and then we held hands in a circle, and I prayed. And I left. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I didn't even want to get up off the couch. And I think God said as I got back in my car, hey, I just want to remind you, you're talking about Acts 4 this week. I uh, don't know, all week you've been talking about being selfless and giving of yourselves and being uncommon, you common little man. <laughs> so when I ask you these questions, trust me, I'm wrestling with them myself. Second one. Are you contributing to the oneness of Friends Church? How do you speak about your church outside of this building? How do you talk about your pastor's sermons? I can say that because I'm normally not here. <laughs> Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I tell our staff all the time, hey, let's do this. Can we, can we just believe the best in one another? So maybe we find out different. <laughs> when I'm approaching any conversation with, I'm believing the best. So can you help me understand when there's a disagreement or there's problems? Can you help me understand what's going on here? But I'm going to go in believing the best first and foremost. How good and pleasant it is. We know that. And you know what I think you're experiencing? I think you're experiencing that. Because we don't have a lot of this. I don't get a bunch of nasty emails. I, my pastor friends do. And I tell them all the time, I don't. I, I just don't. You know? And so thank you. Jay thanks you. I'll thank him for you. Thank you. But there is a unity that happens when God's people come together. And, and when people start coming to Christ and things start happening that really matter, the things that don't matter kind of just go away. And whether it's too loud or they serve bad coffee or they stop serving coffee or these chairs aren't as comfortable as they need to be or whatever it is, it just kind of fades away when you see somebody baptized and you go, oh, that's what this is about. So how are you contributing to the oneness when you leave this place? Make every effort, Ephesians says, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. As far be it unto you, be at peace 
Do you do that? I pray that you do. And then here's really the last one. We have a, a value called radical generosity that we giving out of gratitude by holding back nothing. We have a radically generous church. We have people that are radically generous in our church. I'll say that. Are you radically generous towards Friends Church? Your time, your treasure, your talent. Radically generous. I don't know what radically means to you. <laughs> Might mean something different for me and for you, but radically means uncommon. And we just had a business meeting last week, two weeks ago, and we ended our year, and, uh, you know, these numbers, I'll say, are just, they're big, but you just need to understand, we have over an $8 million budget with our campuses, and, and we exceeded that budget this year, and it was awesome. God blessed us in amazing ways, and we have our Amigos congregation, this congregation, uh, our main congregation in Yorba Linda at that campus. We're getting ready to plan another congregation, and God's just doing great things, and we're grateful, but there was one number that came up that just disturbed me a little bit, and it was this number that said our average gift for an adult at our church is $45 a week. $45 a week, which means $2,345 a year. Uh oh, so that means if we were people that tithes and gave 10%, we made $23,000 this last year. Now, some of us do. That's cool. I know most of us in this room probably don't make that. Uh, but if we were corporately to come together, and I cut this in half, okay, there's like 8,000 adults that call friends home. I cut it in half and said, what if $4,000, 4,000 people? Uh, gave that amount of money, we would be at $9,360,000 a year, which means we would blow our budget away. So that was just at $45. So then I said, what if we got radically generous? What if we were to give $100 a week a person? That means we'd give $5,200 a person. And our corporate yearly giving for our church would be $20,800,000. And the first thing I know some of your minds think is, you guys, what do you need to do with that money? You don't need that kind of money. You're right. I have no idea what we would do. But wouldn't it be fun to do it? <laughs> wouldn't it be fun when Harvey came that we were the church that not only sent people, we gave him a million dollars to another church. Wouldn't it be fun <laughs> if something was going on in our community and I wouldn't have to come and ever do a special offering ever again. I wouldn't have to raise a capital campaign money for this building to sit in because we would just buy it with $20 million and then we'd begin leasing it out. And can you imagine all the nonprofits that could be in this building that we could give them a dollar a year lease and they could do ministry without having to have any overhead. Can you imagine if we became uncommon? And God started to do something, and we started to change the world because we were people that actually looked at Scripture and did what it says. Can you imagine what God would do in and through us? Can you imagine if 8,001 people, and that's our goal, came to Christ in the next 10 years? Can you imagine if people lived out this thing called Christianity in an uncommon way? What would happen within our world? Can you imagine if you and I lived like it mattered and our lives and others depended on it? Can you imagine if this wasn't just one campus, but it became 10 or 20 or 30, and the good news of Jesus was going out and people were turning in faith? I can imagine those things. And that's why I'm here today. And that's why I'm a part of this great church, because Scripture tells me this. That God says, I can do immeasurably more than you ever think or imagine. And if I can imagine this, then my God can do greater than this. And so I stand here today amongst a bunch of common people. And I'm going to ask the band to come forward. And as they come forward, in this group of common people, I think God is calling our community of friends to be uncommon. And I think he's looking for us 
to have a mission statement that says, becoming a community of authentic Christ followers, compelled to change our world. And it's not just something that's on the walls, but it is actually something that has captivated our hearts. And I look at the early church and I say, that's what we're called to be. That's who we are called to represent this one named Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, this is going to come back on again. And it is this that says the church. You are the church. You are the church. Now let's go and live like the church. God, thank you that today you are greater than anything in this world. That because of your son Jesus and his death on a cross, we gather together, I pray, in unity of one heart and one mind. And today I thank you, God, for this campus. Because here's what I know. It was started by people who were just like in Acts 2. Who were sitting in a seat and you nudged in their heart. That they'd be a group of people that would step up and step out. And it started with 10, and then it started with 20, and then it started with 30, and then it kept getting bigger. And then we look around today, God, it would start with people that sacrificed their time and their talent and their treasures. And every time I walk into this place, God, I am reminded that we are becoming. We're not fully there yet, but we are becoming this community of uncommon people that are selflessly sacrificing for their Savior. God, may we become so uncommon that it just becomes common. May we look around and see things happen and we go, well, that's what this church does because that's who we are. May it just become an expression of our daily life that we would not just live in community, but we would actually be community. And God, I pray that you would take just a common group of people and do something uncommon in North Orange County for your glory and your honor. For your name is great. And we sing and we rejoice in that name. We give in this offering right now because we come together with all our little gifts and we expect that you would bring them together in this community and do something beyond ourselves like you already have done. So God, we give as an act of worship to say everything is yours in the heavens and the earth. And this little bit that I give to you, God, I pray that it blesses your kingdom. So continue to unite us together as one church in multiple locations for the cause and the glory of this one named Jesus Christ who sacrificed everything for us. And it's in his name we pray and everybody said, amen.